Well, today's topic is just for preachers out there, and we're on the phone with Pastor Phil Campbell. And Phil, you wrote the book, you co-wrote the book, Saving Eutychus, and I love that. Can you just explain real quick why you chose that title? <laughs> yeah, look, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, the title's a bit of fun, really. It's uh, just picking up on the, the story of Eutychus, who's in Acts 20, verses uh, 7 to 9. The Apostle Paul is preaching late into the night, and Eutychus dozes off on a window ledge and falls to his death. And the good thing is the Apostle Paul can, can help him out at that point and raise him from the dead. Uh, I figure most of us preachers can't do that, so it's best to keep people awake. That's good. And uh, that's the goal of the book to help people preach God's word and keep people awake. Oh, I love it. And what what we want to talk about today is for preachers. A section in your book, you call it top 10 tips for being clear. And I want to just run through that real quick because preachers who are listening to this, I think can really benefit from all 10 of these tips. So we're going to set you up, Phil, and I'm going to read kind of your tip. And then I want you to explain it a little bit. And we're going to do it. We're going to try to do this quickly as we run through all of these to help preachers really gain from this book. And again, I'll put a link to this book down below. I encourage every preacher out there listening to this to pick up a copy. The first thing you say, Phil, is the more you say, the less people will remember. Yeah, Brian, and can I just say as we get started on this, these tips are really just hard won from experience. So, you know, they're things I've learned along the way. And I've also taught in a preaching class and taught a few generations of preachers now. And they're things that really seem to help but if you ask for the science behind them, uh, it's just the science of 30 years experience. But the more you say, the less people re will remember. And I think that's just so intuitively true, yet so few preachers are prepared to run with that. You know, my experience as a listener to preachers is that so often I just wish they'd stop a fair while before they do stop. <laughs> and I just... You know, as I when I started out as a preacher, I just had the problem of having a very honest wife, and she still is. But as a student preacher, she would always just tell me afterwards that I was I was boring, and I figured at least the first thing I could fix if I was destined to be boring, at least I didn't have to be long and boring. So <laughs> I figured out say less, crystallize it, and uh, say it, and you know, be done. I love what you say in the book. Say less, please stop before someone dies. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And one of the one of the big things from the, the book that's been contentious, and I've got to say, especially with you American guys, is I do say that, uh, you know, how long should you preach? And I say the answer for me is around 23 minutes because I figure that's how long people are happy to listen to me. I wasn't saying that everyone in the world should... Uh, only preach for 23 minutes because a lot of people are a lot better at it than me, you know. Mm. Uh, there are some people I'm happy to listen to for 30 or 40 minutes. It's just that I'm not one of those guys. And I think most of the people I've taught over the years, they're not that guy either, and they just need to realize that. Yeah, and I love you say in this section, stop thinking you're Tim Keller. That's really, <laughs> that's really good advice for every preacher. I mean, we'd all love to be, but not many of us are. Your second tip is make the big idea shape everything you say. And our teaching team really loves this because we work hard at this point. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a great point. And of course, there's nothing new in that. Uh, Haddon Robinson uh, said that years ago, but the thing that I realized was I had trouble with the how to put that into practice. And I think others, others do too, in that you can be convinced that 
you're sticking to the big idea, but you're really not. And then some other idea comes into your head and you just chase it and you're chasing down rabbit holes all the time and that just loses people and you, you're not really being honest about letting the big idea shape everything you do. And I guess the trick is, look, when it comes to it, is editing, editing your thoughts. If you're working from a script, editing your script and just brutally being prepared to take out anything that doesn't go with the big idea. Uh, this is the point where I think I, I used the quote of the American presidential speech writer who was asked how he writes great speeches. And he says, well, first he writes a speech, then he takes out everything that ain't great. Yeah, that's good. And that what that made me think about was Abraham Lincoln, you know, his Gettysburg Address, was it? Was mm. three and a half minutes? So brief. Yeah, I had a dream speech, so brief. Yeah, yeah, that's mm. good. And, it, and, it, and it's focused on a, a main point, a big idea. And really, it kind of leads into your third tip. And it's to choose the shortest, most ordinary words you can. And I think to me that these next few tips go along with, with tip number two, that keep the main idea the main idea. You're trying to not compete with the main idea and not make this more complex than it needs to be. That's exactly right. And look, preachers are very prone to using jargon, using theological jargon. And I'm passionate about trying to avoid that too, because particularly at our church, we want to be a church where ordinary people can come in and understand exactly what you're talking about. But it's actually more than that. This, this point isn't just about avoiding jargon. It's about the fact that I'm committed to wanting to sound as natural as we can when we speak to people uh, from, from up front. And natural language just gravitates towards the shortest, easiest word to say, uh, the shortest number of syllables to, to pack an idea. And so, you know, I can't think of any good reason to use the word utilize when you could just say use. Mm. You know, everyone knows what utilize means, but it just has a little bit of a pretentious sound to it. And it takes more syllables. You know, it, it interrupts the communication process somehow when, you, when you're trying to just keep it as clear as you can. Yeah, and the gospel is for ordinary people. Jesus chose ordinary fishermen to follow him, and I think we should try to be as ordinary as we can, I think, as we communicate the gospel. Well, I I absolutely agree uh, with that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I ran a little seminar in Japan for, for pastors there based on the book, and they've got a long tradition uh, that when you're a preacher, you've got to adopt the very formal style of, of language. Uh, so... Japan has two very distinct modes of, of language. I guess we all do. But for the young guys there I was talking to, this was, uh, to them, it just made so much sense. Culturally, it wasn't quite appropriate for them. But they just realized that the area of people's lives they wanted to speak into, they needed to be speaking friend to friend and you know, just using shorter, less formal language. Yeah, and that leads to shorter sentences not just shorter words but shorter sentences and that's your fourth tip yes it is and i think the way this works and we i guess we know intuitively that it does work but the way it works is you don't process an idea till you get the sentence hmm. and so if you leave people hanging and wander and wander and wander and wander with your sentence uh, they can't take it in and start to chew on it and process it and be ready for the next bit so shorter sentences work also, just um, so so one of the things, and again, this is a little bit contentious too, but 
in the book, I, I really encourage people to script their sermon, but in natural spoken language. So I think the beauty of scripting a sermon pretty closely is you can decide exactly what you want to say and how you want to say it. But the problem that people run into when they do that is they write essays. Mm. They don't write in natural speaking rhythms. So often, often we'll speak in clauses, not full sentences. And I'll script that. Typically, you know, we'll, we will, if we're writing essays, we'll write long sentences and you'll just find you can't get it out when you try to say it. Uh, so, so the point has a couple of benefits. When you're scripting, it just is easy to speak back in a way that's natural, but also it's much easier for people to grab the idea and process it if you keep it short. And I, and I, I suggest having a look at your sentence lengths and trying to average it around 17 words per sentence, which is a statistic I get out of the, the Reader's Digest um, magazine where their writer's guide, their contributor's guide was to, to keep it to about that average sentence length because it's easy to comprehend. Yeah, and you say in point five in your fifth tip, again, in the same vein, you say, forget everything your English teacher taught you. Now, I have to say, when I read number five, I had just read number four. In my, I had an English teacher in high school who taught me this. He said, use shorter sentences. So I shouldn't forget that, right? Because this was your fourth tip. Well, no, don't forget that because I, I might be just a little bit older than you uh, because my English teacher... It wasn't so much about sentence length, but there were all these rules mm. about not starting sentences with conjunctions. Right. So don't start a sentence with but or and or um, and and uh, don't use contractions, you know, don't don't say can't or don't or won't. Mm. But they're exactly the things that make natural speech natural. Right. And and you might like to start a sentence with an and. That's good. So don't listen Don't listen to the echoes of your old English teacher who will be annoyed at that. If you are writing a sermon script, just remember it's not an essay. It's not going to follow those rules. It's got to follow the rules of how we normally speak. Yeah, and one of the things I really like that you say throughout the book is, but especially in this section, is it's about being conversational. That's one of the things that we really emphasize is yep. talk to the people like you're talking to a friend or a, or a group of friends, a lot of times before I get up to preach, I'll sit there and look at the auditorium. Yep. I'll especially look at the men and I want to watch the men as they worship. And usually they've got their hands in their pockets. I can tell the ones that don't really want to be there. And that's the guy I want to speak to. And so being conversational and being informal, um, using short, understandable, ordinary words, all of that stuff is going to grab that guy. And look, I, I, I really resonate with that. I think in my mind, I'm always trying to pitch church at what would have been good for my dad. He passed away a few years back. He was a farmer. He was a bit of a, you know, he was a church attending guy, but it was only in his later years that I think he really came to a real faith. But so many times my mum would drag him off to church and the sermon would be so long and so abstract and songs that were hard to sing and and it would run over time and we'd, He'd come home and he'd get so angry with my mum because, well, it wasn't her fault that church went long, but, you know, and and it didn't make sense. So I, I guess that's the sort of guy you're talking about. Right. And that's the sort of guy I really want to speak to when I, when I speak. Because those are the guys that are going to need to be awakened by the message. You know, the people who are taking notes, they're going to listen to you. It's the ones, it's the bystanders. It's the guys yeah. who are not engaged. That's who we're trying to grab. And, you know, the beautiful thing is it does happen. And, and I love it when it happens, uh, when those guys do get engaged. 
uh, one of our key guys at church I, now who leads a small group and it's just uh, a great guy. But he was a guy, his, his wife dragged along and at first he'd just make excuses to take the kids outside during the during the sermon, you know, because he didn't want to be there. But then he started to realise it actually made sense and he could follow it and his life's really turned around since those days. But But I think it's just doing little things like this speaking to people like that in the way they normally encounter in life makes a huge difference. Now, in your sixth point, you talk about repetition. And I love the point that you make that when you're reading a book, that you will go back and reread a difficult section until you're ready to move forward. But you can't do that in preaching. Yeah. So you've got to do it for the people who are listening. You've got to anticipate where the points are, where they might just need to to hear it again, where where they might have lagged behind, where where if you're turning from one point to the next point and there's a bit of a change of topic and direction, their mind will still be just moving along that previous track and you've got to take them gradually around turns like that. And look, this, this I think, is... When I said when I was a, a student preacher, I really struggled not to be boring. A friend of mine in the year ahead of me at, at Bible College he was a great natural communicator, but, he, but he'd thought about how it worked. And he told me this. And I was due to be preaching as a student at my, at my church the next day. And I'd already finished the draft of the sermon. And the thing was, my wife, Louise, I'd always show her my draft and she'd say, that reads really well. But I was talking to my, my friend Dave about this. I said, why, why is it always so boring? And he said, well, you're not repeating enough. And when, when you move from one point in your outline to the next point, always repeat the first sentence three times in, in three slightly different ways of your new point. Don't just say the same words again, but don't give any new information and let people uh, move with you into the new point. And, and I looked at my, my draft and said, but this is already too long. How, what am I going to do? It'll just blow right out when... If I do that, and he said, "Well, go back and take stuff out. It's got too many ideas in it, mm. and you're not taking people around the corners with you and doing enough repetition." And you know, the amazing thing is, I, I went back and I did that, and I got up and preached the next day, and everything changed. And there was an old guy who shook my hand at the back of the church as as everyone was leaving, and he said, "Young fella, I was with you all the way today." And then I came out, and there was Louise waiting outside, and she gave me the thumbs up. And, uh, you know, life had changed. Mm. I, was, I wasn't going to stop doing that. Yeah, one of the things you say in this section, I marked it up in my copy of the book, you say repetition regulates the information flow. Too much information flowing too quickly makes people feel like they're drinking from a fire hose. Exactly right. And how off-putting is that? You know, how how tiring is that as a listener when that's happening? And I think there's a temptation for the preacher to look smart right? To get across a lot of information to look smart. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, exactly. That's the temptation. And again, sorry if all my old stories are boring, but so soon after I learned that tip from my friend Dave, and it worked so well, I got passionate about learning other, other little tricks to make things less boring and the shorter words and the shorter sentences stuff. Uh, in our final year at our college, which is more, where I went, which is more theological college in Sydney, in our final year we had to uh, preach a sermon as as a final year student in the college chapel, and I'd reworked my sermon with with all these principles I was learning. I felt this just seems so overly simple, 
and you know we had all the professors there and all the students but i got up and preached my simple sermon with short words and repetition and short sentences and um again there was one of those experiences at the end uh getting feedback one of our professors uh his name was dr bill dumbrell who's one of the was one of the smartest guys around he can he he spoke to me afterwards and said uh i really enjoyed that it was nice and clear and kept me with it all the way and i thought you know if a guy that sharp appreciates something that just holds attention uh then this is a winner so even smart people you know even sharp people who you might be tempted to try to impress they appreciate clarity and you know the the, the other thing too on on repetition as you're transitioning from one point into the next if you're just steamrolling through that's the point where you'll lose people's attention and that's what you know that first old guy at church said to me I was with you all the way but the turning point is where you lose people so if you if you flag really carefully that you're turning from one point to the next you'll hold them through those turns and ultimately you'll hold them all the way and you'll have got your message across your seventh tip gets really practical Phil you say translate narratives into the present tense what do you mean by that hey Brian I think they're all practical aren't they <laughs> they are very practical they're all practical but I just notice and I don't know if this is an Australian thing I think it's American too when people tell jokes when people tell narrative they switch into the present tense and it seems the most natural thing in the world so mm. you know a man and a horse they walk into a bar right you tell it in present tense and it works and natural storytellers do this too and there there are a number of other places in life where we spot it happening in fact mark's gospel is largely in the greek told in the present tense which is a fascinating thing if you if you look at the greek there but also you'll find television news when they're speaking over video of an event they will switch into the present tense so you know thousand people march in the city this morning protesting against climate change uh there are just a number of times where we switch into the presence and what it does is just brings people up closer to the action uh, as soon as you're in a past tense it pushes it away and uh makes it feel distant and separate from you you, you switch into the present and it's like you're describing it as it happens and it just brings a new vividness into people's minds as listeners and you know again i don't know if i don't know if there's science to this but just in terms of feedback i've had from people listening through the years there was there was one lady i remember who um a few few years ago when i i was preaching one of the gospels and she said you just make everything seem so vivid when you preach it's just like i'm there and i just had a wry little smile because i knew that that day in particular all i had done mm. was turn the narrative into present tense so it really works it just makes it more vivid more listenable and easy to do feels a bit weird when you uh do it at first when you when you write it into your into your script and when you say it it might feel a little bit weird but it's actually not weird at all your eighth tip is about illustrations and this is important i think every preacher coming out of seminary of course is going to learn about preaching with illustrations but you call it the six million dollar secret <laughs> and it's a it's a bit of a cheap trick i'm sorry and again <laughs> um <laughs> but i just i just realized that sometimes the reason we need to illustrate 
is just to give people a little rest along the way. Uh, there are other reasons to illustrate. And of course, if something's really complex, it's great if you have a great illustration. But the tip is, uh, the, the, the pot of gold in this one is, you know, if you can't do that, because the big fear of young preachers is, well, what if I can't get a really good illustration? And, and you know, it, it's really difficult when you're preparing if you feel you're stuck and you haven't got a good, good illustration. But rather than preach a message with no illustrations at all, just realise that sometimes it's, it's easy. Well, it's always easy if you follow this advice. Sometimes people need a break and you can give them a break by illustrating the most obvious things in the world. So I always use the example of uh, Amos says Israel is like a basket of ripe fruit. And I think he means overripe fruit, fruit because I think they're a little bit on the nose, you know. And every year I say to my preaching class, I'll bet there's not a single person in the room who can't think of an example of a piece of really stinky, overripe mm. fruit that, you know, if you've got kids who have a school lunchbox, I don't know if this is just an Australian thing, but, you know, you've, you've got to make sure at the end of the week you check that lunchbox for the fruit that you gave them on Monday because it won't be looking too good by the Friday. Mm. And if you've, got a, if you've got particularly boys, I think, but, you know, they, they'll let anything go ripe in their, in their school bag. And that's what Israel was like, you know. So that's not hard to illustrate. You can tell any number of stories about your encounters with ripe fruit, and then that's what Israel was like. Yeah, and, and I couldn't help but mark this one up in my copy of your book. The secret is, and you already said this, but I've got to say it again because, Phil, this is so brilliant. I, the, all of this is brilliant. It all, it's all practical and brilliant. But you say, illustrate the obvious, and the complex ideas will, will take care of themselves because your listeners will be fresh and focused enough to stay with you. So, right, so as you're going through your sermon, just say, this jumps out at me. I've got a story for this point. I've got a story for this point or an illustration for this point. And, and it's really more about sort of regulating information flow to keep your people fresh. Exactly right. And your challenge will be then to cut out a lot of those because really you'll have too many. Right. You know, and so you can just use, yeah, it just turns the whole illustration thing around, the dilemma for young preachers of, you know, how am I going to illustrate this? So, yeah, I think it's profoundly helpful that way. And it's related to your ninth tip, which is that people love to hear about people. So you're talking about personalizing it, telling personal stories, right? Whether yours or someone else's. Yes. Um, and, and this is kind of obviously, none of this is rocket science, is it? So but it's obviously true that people love to hear about other people. And um, yeah, there's a certain type of preacher that gets very abstract and just stays abstract mm -hmm. and... Uh, never grounds it in the stories of real people. And I think they've got to be today people, uh, best of all. You know, mm. I, I don't think this really works if you go too historical in it because it just gets a bit dusty rather than fresh. But, yeah, uh, and one thing I, what I say about this is newspapers know this, you know, that there's no story in statistics or dry numbers. There's always a story in... A family that's affected and there's always a photo of the family that's affected if if the unemployment rate goes up two percent you know your, your front page story on the newspaper won't be about a number it'll be about a family that's affected because dad just lost his job so as soon as there are people involved it's the heart gets involved and your final tip 
number 10, you say work toward your key text. And I want to read a section from this because it's just so rich and I want you to unpack it a little bit. You say, lead your listeners towards the text, prepare them for the logic of what they're about to see for themselves in scripture by raising the question the text is about to answer and then let the words of scripture close the deal at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And this is one that I discovered somehow by accident because I'd never really thought about it. But one day I was just really struggling. This is years ago. I was struggling to write my sermon. And I was just, as as I was putting it together, I was thinking, this just isn't going to carry to people. And it just dawned on me as I looked back at what I'd written that I might have just intuitively been doing this usually. But for some reason, it had flipped. And I was uh, taking people to the Bible verse and then saying, well, this means this, this, and this, and this. And then going to the next verse and saying, and so that means this. And the rhythm just wasn't there. But I also realized what it was doing is giving people the, the Bible verse that you want to focus on and then asking them to keep that in their minds while you moved further and further away from it, if that makes sense. Mm. So you, you you quote the text, you say, look at this verse, and then you, you start unpacking and explaining it. And it's harder and harder for them to have in their minds what you're talking about because you, you're talking away from it rather than towards it. And and I just sort of went, oh, I've done this, and I'll just switch around. I just started messing around and reversed that order, and suddenly everything was okay again for, for that week's message because I could see that it was going to work. And it just made me realise that what, what a good principle that is, that you build the idea, you raise a question, you tell a story. So an example of that is the the basket of ripe fruit that I just talked about in illustrating that that if you raise that idea of ripe fruit and you know my kid I found his lunchbox in his bag and it had a banana from two weeks ago and you could smell it right through the house and then you go you know that's what Amos says Israel is like have a look at the verse in front of you so that way you've taken people through the idea through the sort of visceral experience of that and then when you take them to the text it goes wham you know they've got all that preloaded at first when i read this phil it reminded me of, of a good movie a movie that sort of sets you up and keeps you on the edge of your seat you know there's a reason that that character is in this story and there's a reason that that guy said that or there's a reason the camera stayed on him for three extra seconds to catch his expression and these are little subtle cues that you're getting as a wa as a listener or a watcher of the movie. Yep. And then good movies tie it all together. Bad movies don't. Like, well, why, why was that character in there, <laughs> right? Why was that person in there? Yeah, they know exactly where they're heading. Yeah. And really then, not to cheapen this, but that really then is what God does in Scripture, right? He He knows from the opening of the book, he knows the ending of it. And I think as preachers, we shouldn't, yep this kind of gets back to your big idea, know your big idea. And obviously the text should be the, the author of the big idea. And so you're working with the big idea in mind, you're working toward the text that, that offered up the big idea in the first place. And look, ultimately the big idea of the Bible is Jesus. And mm -hmm. we want to be preaching Jesus, not little moral lessons, but if you work really hard at it and you know, the book talks about this as well, take people in the end to, to Jesus uh, not just trying harder, not just being good, but how Jesus resolves that big idea of the whole Bible. And it's beautiful that the whole Bible does that uh, so very, very consistently.
Well, Phil Campbell, thank you for talking us through your top 10 tips for preachers. The book is called Saving Eutychus, How to Preach God's Word and Keep People Awake. Phil, I love that title. Um, you co-authored it with Gary Miller, so pick it up on uh, Amazon or at your favorite Christian bookstore. Phil, thanks again for joining us. Brian, it's been a great pleasure. <laughs>